Mary of Magdala, sole continuous witness, standing with Jesus on the shores, standing with Jesus in the temple, standing with Jesus during trial, standing with Jesus during crucifixion, standing with Jesus in death, and yet more miraculous still, standing at the tomb the very next morning. Know where you stand, no more. Know where you stand and stand there. Know where you stand, no more. Know where you stand and stand there. Know where you stand, no more. Welcome to Know Where We Stand podcast, our Lenten series on justice, identity, faith, and the lay Catholic consciousness. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Teresa. And we have a great show for you guys today. Um, This is our Friends episode. This week we're reflecting on um, Mary Magdalene and how she never left Jesus's side. On the show today, we'll have a great conversation with Lee Adorno of Movimiento Cosecha. Um, And we talk a lot about the dignity of all human beings. Um, And Lee really kind of brought that home for Jimmy and I um, in his sharing. Then I'm going to call my friend JT, my dear, dear friend. And then uh, we have a really interesting Sunday school episode. Um, And as always, we will end with my examine. All right. So what does Palm Sunday mean to you? Teresa, did you have any fun traditions go- growing up? Or I, n- I never could make the cross out of the, p- the palms. Neither could I. It was like... It would always like break before I got to it. Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. <laughs> that was my fun tradition, like sitting in the pew as a child, being frustrated I couldn't <laughs> fold a cross out of palms. And yeah. Some people can do it so smoothly. Like, damn. Yeah, the, the students I work with, they like do it in like 30 seconds. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Y'all took a class that I skipped out on. Um, but yeah, what does Palm Sunday mean for you? Uh, I, you know, it's, it really marks the beginning of Holy Week. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, honestly, Easter, like Lent, I felt like is a big presence growing up. But Easter is always, and Holy Week is like an important presence, but it's like a little bit of a different vibe than Christmas. Mm -hmm. I feel like everything shuts down for Christmas, but this kind of kicking off of the, it's like Palm Sunday, but then you go back to school or work and then you, it's Holy Thursday. And I guess it's just interesting. Like in some ways I feel like there's more space to reflect and be in community around Christmas Mm. than Easter. But I also, the intensity of the week, I think, holds a lot of sacred value too and it's definitely something i feel and palm sunday kind of kicks that off yeah i think what really changed my perception of of holy week um was living in the philippines actually Mm. so i was there for a semester in the casa by nihon program and i i'm come from a filipino family and so holy week is like such like a prayerful solemn time that as a child I was like a little confused about especially like being told to just kind of like sit there in prayer and my mom would like be in adoration or just kind of she like had the has the ability to just like sit and pray and meditate for like hours yeah but in the Philippines like everything shuts down for the Easter Chudwam Mm -hmm. um 
and Holy Week. And then my my family in the province that we live in, um, Good Friday is like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So there's like a procession all throughout the town. My family, my dad's side of the family, they have this like statue of Veronica that they oh, wow. um, process in town and you just like do this like whole like walking vigil. Wow. And there's like certain foods that you eat and to break fast. And um, there's such like a ritual about it that I think we don't necessarily have here in the States, Mm -hmm. Um, at least the areas that I, that I was in. Um, But I love Palm Sunday because it really kicks, it like previews like all that's to come and culminating in, in the passion which is a brutal reading, but like Holy Week, like it has us tap into kind of the drama of life and death and resurrection um, and gives us space, a liturgical space to enter into that. Like what moves you on, on that deep level? I think our director of research once told me that Jesus died because of the way he lived. And I think that is so moving because he was such an example of love and selfless love and and doing things with such love and such tenderness. And because of that, it was like the ultimate sacrifice. He paid the ultimate price, right? That he died on a cross. And this wasn't a this was a common way of killing people. He had his moments of doubts where he was asking the asking God to, to like have the cup pass for him because he knew what was to come. He knew the pain that he himself was going to have to endure um, and the pain that his disciples were going to have to endure and the pain that everyone was going to endure, right? All of that he brought with him to the cross. All of our hurts and all the, the pain and suffering that has been caused or that we've been the victims of, um, and all of the pain and suffering that we've been the perpetrators of, like all of that he carried with him. And I think we could really mourn that loss, mm-hmm. you know, and, and putting ourselves in the mindset of the disciples, like they were mourning mm-hmm. not just the loss of their friend, but the loss of their world. They had this image of, of, um, of salvation and the Messiah and, um, and this was their teacher and their leader and their friend who who showed them another way, who showed them what the world could be. Um, and then the world snatched that from them. And for three days, they had to sit with that. You know, they were promised these things, yet Jesus died. He said he would raise, rise again, but it doesn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I pray the stations now, you know, when Jesus falls, like I imagine my friend falling. Yeah, yeah. And this friend that was so strong and so giving and so loving um, and who showed me another way, like to be so vulnerable and to be so human. Yeah, I guess just one thing I would would add, um, when you were speaking about the crucifixion before and just kind mm-hmm. of the that this was how they carried out the death penalty at that time and this violent means of doing it. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's been, Jesus was in resistance both to church hierarchy and to the state. Mm -hmm. And he undermined both of those. And that's why he was killed. And 
I think it's just such a, a model and a reminder too. I, I had a professor in college who were, um, she taught this awesome theology and criminal justice class. Mm. Um, but her, she spoke about her daughter's baptism. She was going to get the cake for the baptism mm-hmm. and they wanted to put a cross on it. And she said like, no, I want a dove or something like that. And she was basically saying like, you know, I'm Catholic. Faith is important to me, but I don't hold up the symbol of the cross because having the cross on a baptism case or around my neck on a necklace would be like having the electric chair wow. on the cake. You know, these, I think, archetypes and examples of, you know, living a life driven by love, which drives you to resist mm-hmm. hierarchy and power mm-hmm. and then might get you killed or might, you know, put you in prison or through other struggles and just, I think there's so much, but there's regeneration in that. Mm-hmm. And we see that in the natural worlds. And uh, these issues are still very, very present and relevant, unfortunately. The best example of that have been the stories that we've heard on this podcast um, and in our conversations that God has given us the ability to speak um, and the ability to like withstand um, the beatings that other people may give us because we're called to bring the truth and bring the light. Um, and I feel like the people that we've had on this show really, really showed that for me. Definitely. And I think a great example of that is our uh, guest today, Leah Dorno from Movie Miento Cosecha. Uh, who has a lot of uh, powerful experiences to share from his life and his work. So excited for you all to listen. back to Know Where We Stand podcast. Uh, we have a really uh, exciting guest with us today, Lee Adorno, uh, organizer and activist with the Cosecha movement. Um, Lee, thank you so much for being with us today. We're super, super grateful to have you. Um, thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about a couple uh, different topics and want to hear more about you and your work. Um, but just to start, could you, or how, how long have you been involved with, with the movement? Um, I've been involved indirectly since 2010. I went to like a protest that I didn't know what it was about. I was just like kidding high school. Turned out like looking back at it now, it was like a Dream Act um, rally in 2010 when they were trying to push for the Dream Act. And then I had this like shift where I didn't want to like organize and I didn't want to get involved with like the Dreamer narrative, any of that. Um, and then it wasn't until like 2012, maybe that I like life hit me and I was like, you can't run away from being undocumented, you know? Um, and I felt like I had to do something to better the community, the community, which I lived in. Um, I guess what was it like kind of prior to joining that community? Did you feel kind of isolated on campus? Um, yeah, I think that for me, my experience was that I was always trying to fit in. Um, I was always trying very hard to like, like, like I was saying, like to not be undocumented, not feel undocumented. Um, so when I first went to college, I had a full ride scholarship and I was like, yes, I finally made it. I'm finally normal. 
mm-hmm. right? Uh, and when I lost my athletic scholarship because, like, my parents, like, uh, one of my dad was uh, really sick. And so he had to, like, stop working. And, like, I had to drop out of school to, like, pick up work so I could help out at rent. Um, yeah, that that was, that made me feel weird because, like, it reminded me that I wasn't normal, you know, that I wasn't, like, uh, I wasn't documented. Um, and so I felt lonely. I fell into, like, like, a depressional state. And it took me a while to get out of it. It was actually thanks to my sister who, like, invited me to, like... Uh, a meeting at the Social Justice House at St. Peter's University. And that's where I met Anna Brown. And, like, they were planning out a rally. And, like, I got involved from there. What was your experience at, like, at St. Peter's, which is, I'm guessing, a Catholic college? Yeah. Right? Where, how um, supportive of the undocumented community were professors and, and other students there? Yeah, so... I actually applied to the school because my sister went there before me and she was having a hard time like getting into a college because at the time like undocumented students like weren't really allowed to go into college or they were giving them a hard time and St. Peter's actually gave her a chance so like when I saw her like graduate and stuff I was like you know I want to go to that college because I know there's like professors who care about about my community um, and then while I, when I got there, I saw that like, yeah, it's very supportive, but I always wanted to push them more, you know, yes. um, because although they support undocumented students, um, I recognize that only 3% of undocumented people are, are in on a university. So that leaves like a whole 97% outside. Yes. Uh, so I always try to push like the school to like do more for the community. Um, and I think that's why like we had a, we had a good uh, thing going because like they were also very like supportive, you know? You mentioned that you like felt this responsibility um, to get involved, and then even talking about like you joined the community at St. Peter's, and you like felt the call to like push them to do more um, than they were, which I think a lot of people need other people to nudge them, just kind of like your sister um, pushed you. Um, so I'm wondering if you can speak about kind of where that comes from or where that drive or where that like sense of responsibility comes from because I feel like that is lacking in a lot of people. Yeah, I think that I mean what my sister like did for me was definitely like expose me to to realities that weren't necessarily my own, but that they could have been my own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um sometimes it's just like we we find ourselves like lucky, you know? Yeah. Like I have seen like situations where I mean, there was this family who was going to be separated, a family of five. And the mom was in deportation proceedings to be deported uh, in about a month time from when I met her. Mm -hmm. And the dad was already in the detention center, about to be deported like two days later. And they were going to leave like three kids uh, in the United States, the oldest one being 14 and the youngest one being two. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I when I saw that, like I reflected on my family, and I was like, "Well, I'm in a way lucky that I'm not going through that, but also like I should be doing something to help them," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like hugging the the two year old, and like her not knowing what's going on in the world, and just seeing her like beginning to walk, and I'm like, "Oh my God, this is this is not right." Yeah. So it's like that human connection. That, like, although we're in different, like, families, we're connected. 
like they're my the other side of my family you know mm-hmm. um and just like really like feeling that connection and like holding on to it um it, it's it's very like emotionally draining uh because you connect with them so much so like yeah. when the mom couldn't sleep like i felt that anxiety and i felt mm-hmm. that that like that weight that that was weighing me down and i feel like that's just like a, a I think that you get when you're organized, you know, it's, it's just really real and it's right in front of your face and you can't ignore it. So like you have to do something to change it. Can you, uh, <clears throat> the, the, there's the sanctuary movement around churches and colleges and cities. Uh, I don't know if Kosech has done much work around that, um, but I guess uh, if you could just share a little bit about what you know about that sanctuary movement and if you feel like... Uh, I guess the label of sanctuary is true sanctuary for undocumented folks. Yeah, I think the the short answer for that is like no, you know. Um, when I like was working on sanctuary, making St. Peter's a sanctuary campus, like I understood that nothing can really stop an ICE agent from walking in and taking somebody, you know. Um, it's about like just showing people and polarizing them to 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 decide what side are they on you know i think that's that's the the actual goal to show people that we are here and that we are people also and that we have to make that connection the connection that i made with another family who was being deported we have to make that connection with the whole undocumented community thank thank you for uh sharing that um <clears throat> so can you tell us a little bit about your work with Kosecha? uh lately and i i read about some of your uh action in in dc i believe it was mm-hmm. this past december can you share a bit about that yeah um so cosecha doesn't um believe in politicians right um we have seen how both political parties have destroyed our communities um starting with um you know for a short example, like Obama, like Obama ran on, you know, the vote of like the immigrant people. And he promised that there will be something in the first 100 days. Mm. Um, and I mean, two years passed, four years passed, eight years passed yeah. and nothing happened uh, that would help us. But yet he deported like 2.3 million people. Mm. Um, and Trump, I mean, obviously the Republican Party wasn't going to yeah. do anything for us. Um, so we reached out to Hillary Clinton to like help out when there was a massive raid in New York, upstate New York, where 25 undocumented people were um, deported. Um, and she said she didn't want to get involved. We didn't oh reach out gosh. to like, because we wanted her help, but to show people that no, none of these parties are with us. Yes. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so, because she doesn't believe in that, right? We believe that the community can can change the the country even if we don't have the power to vote mm-hmm. and that is kind of like what we've saw from the action that we did this december where me and six other undocumented people and an ally went to jail right fighting for what we believe in and then we came out and the whole country had changed um originally we were asking for uh people to not vote on the cr bill and to like shut down the country if like that had to be the the, the situation, and that seemed like a crazy ultimatum, right? Uh-huh. But when we came out of jail, 
people were talking about that. Yes. People were talking about that possibility. And a couple of weeks later, the government was down. Yeah. And people are still talking about the undocumented community and how that's playing a big role in this presidency. So we decided to target two politicians, and one is Republican and one is a Democrat, right? Um, to show them that we're not, we don't support a party. We don't, so, you know, like we're not like, oh, we're Democrats or we're Republicans. We're not. It like both of them have done our communities dirty. Um, and we wanted to call out Schumer. Well, I was in the, I was at Schumer's office. Uh, two other people were at um, Carvello's. I was at Schumer's because like my dad works in New York, right? He works at a pizzeria and he feeds a lot of New Yorkers, and for Schumer to show up and say that he is with the Dreamers, but at the same time, like, negotiate a wall, it's like, are you really with us, though? Yeah. You know? And we wanted to call him out for that. It's like, you can't say you support us and deport our families on the side. That doesn't go that way. Um, so we were arrested at their offices, and we were not going to cooperate with, um, with police to give them our names. Because we said, you know, we want them to, to start talking or to start doing something. We want to, them to start moving forward, right? Um, and like I said, Cosecha understands that politicians are not on our side, right? But it creates that moment where, like, people are, have to decide these people are, are not with us, you know? And to see it, like, firsthand, right? Uh, and when we got out, what did we get from the politicians? We got a tweet that said, I stand with dreamers. Um, but you know what else we saw from the community? We saw two houses that were packed with people who came down to support us. We had a family who drove from Missouri to cook us lunch when we got released. Wow. The community was changed, and the dream movement was reborn. Um, I think that that action and the actions that have been happening all over D.C. have shown that the dream movement not, can not only exist under the presidency, the Trump's presidency, but it's really strong. Mm -hmm. And that we're going to keep going no matter what. Because what they're trying to do is trying to get rid of like our families. And we love them so much that we're willing to fight as much as we can. The best thing that, that, that happened when we got out was that I was with people. That was the thing that I was the most grateful for. That I was with somebody else. That... Someone was communicating with me, you know, um, and obviously when people went home, like I felt weird because I'm like, what if I go back to jail? And I'm like, this, that's not, that's not the case. Uh, it was definitely an experience that, uh, that I can't yet say if I would want to relieve again, but I feel like if that's what it took to like reborn, like fire and passion, then I feel like it's worth it. Um, so I grew, I grew up Catholic. <laughs> My mom is very religious, and you know she taught me the, the practices like fasting and Lent and Easter. Um, for me, although I'm not that connected, I still feel like there's like a spirituality between humans. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like. Um, there's a connection with all of us because like even in jail like I could still see the humanity within people you know within the guards and the prisoners and just how 
even in like a dark place, we were still able to like see our humanity, you know, and be able to connect with like ourselves and with the people in our hearts, you know, um, like at night, like I would get really homesick and just to like think about like my parents and my brother and like what they're doing and how they're doing and hearing other like uh, people inside jail talk about like their loved ones and how they miss their like daughters or they miss their kids you know I felt like that was that was like God inside there mm. you know um, and although I'm not a spiritual, like I was still able to recognize that, um, which was interesting because, you know, who would have thought <laughs> that even there, you know, God is there. Like through all this, you know, starting with that experience of, of um, like solidarity with that family that kind of like awoken you to or like called you. Um, to like not hide anymore that you couldn't run from your community and who you are um, through it all like what has sustained you or where have you sought to care for yourself in that because I think hearing that it's like a lot of you giving and so where do you um, take care of yourself yeah you know, I have this this almost like crazy philosophy because like I feel like we are ourselves, like people are ourselves, mm -hmm. you know? So I feel like by taking care of other people, sometimes it mm. takes care of you mm. at the same time. Yeah. You know? And it, once you make that like connection or that like, thing it's just like you just keep fueling yourself and it's like it feels good you know yeah yeah and you just keep going your energy doesn't stop like a battery yeah <laughs> it recharges itself <laughs> that's awesome yeah um, um and we like to ask all of our guests this but where do you find hope or what brings you hope you know lent is a time where we focus um traditionally a lot on suffering and in the struggle, but then reminding ourselves that we are resurrection people, that there is hope at the end of our struggles. What brings you hope today or now? I feel like when I see people who, who believe in change, hmm. uh, who honestly like want to believe in it and like fight for it. Like I feel that gives me hope. Uh, an example of that is, um, when people who have heard of Cosecha but never met Cosecha and, like, say, me or somebody walks in the room with, with the Cosecha logo, people are like, I know that. And you're <laughs> like, I, like, you know, it's like they're, like, sparking their eyes. It's like, I know what you stand for, and I stand there with you, and I want to fight with you. Uh, and I'm just like, great. There's a lot of work to be done. Let's go. Let's do it. And I feel like that just motivates me to, like, keep doing stuff. And then, like, seeing them, like, it's just, again, it just re recharges me. I'm just like, all right, we must be doing something right. Yeah. Let's keep going. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I think that that's, that's what it is. Uh, it's just seeing people. And then 
also like you know families and friends and plants i love plants i, I love that plant you have there <laughs> <laughs> the christmas cactus <laughs> is that what it's actually called Oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, so someone's listening to this podcast, right? They're mm-hmm. so inspired about the things that you're saying. They're like, never heard of Kosecha before, but now I'm going to look them up. What's one thing um, that they can do to support the dreamers? Mm. Um, well, I think definitely... Support the dreamers, but also remember the original dreamers, yeah. which were the people who we get our like inspiration, or at least I get my inspiration from, and my like my dreams really come from is like my parents mm-hmm. and like their parents, and you know, grounding in that struggle and fully like embracing it and stop like dividing us, you know, mm-hmm. in a way, yeah, uh, and decriminalizing us. Uh, that would help. and yeah i mean being more outspoken i feel like a lot of the times like we're scared to speak out especially you know having president trump out there um i think now is the time to speak up uh i understand that with all my heart i feel like back in the day when i was growing up like my parents their struggle was um or the way they fought was to raise me in silence, right? They told me not to speak about my status. Mm. Uh, but that was the way of surviving back then, mm-hmm. right? Like, now I'm up, I'm grown, and, like, my thing is not to shut up. <laughs> my thing is to, like, talk and get in people's faces and tell them, you have this choice. you either with us or you're not with us, and you have a choice to either support us or not support us. Because um, one of the things that uh, MLK said, and I'm a paraphrase because I can't remember his exact words, um, but he says that if you don't speak right for the people, then you're the side of the oppression, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like people just have to like say what they're like. If you're going to stand with us, then stand with us, you know, and be proud of it. Um, otherwise, then you're helping the oppressor. families more than you know we're fighting to all stay home we planted seeds and we need them to grow we're fighting to all stay home and we'll take the streets cause we need you to know we're fighting to all stay home And we'll take the jails cause we need you to know We're fighting to all stay home Yes, we love our families more than you know We're fighting to all stay home And we planted seeds and we need them to grow We're fighting to all stay home And we'll take the streets cause we need you to know we're fighting to all stay home. Um, so well, thank you for agreeing to, uh, let me record this conversation. 
It's a pleasure. And to the heart of the matter, um, thank you for being really um, like an influential person in my faith journey. It's, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, you're welcoming, but it's, but it's, uh, it's humbling because it's, uh, uh, because, you know, it's mutual, right? You know, it goes, it goes both ways. It's a symbiotic relationship in the sense that if, if I'm being influential, you're, you're being, if I'm being influential, influential, influential on you, <laughs> then you're being influential on me as well. So, oh, thanks. So, so in that sense, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, but that's kind of like why I want to thank you. I think um, our, my friendship with you kind of showed me what it means to kind of have faithful friendship. What was huge for me, especially at the beginning of our friendship, and really that kind of coincided with the beginning of like my faith journey um, of like really asking questions and like diving deep into kind of like who is God and what is God and what is love and all those fun things. Um, but like you just gave me such a safe or like created such a safe space um, for me to be me and, and, um, like be mad when I needed to be mad and like cry when I needed to cry and laugh when I needed to laugh. I think sometimes um, people, people look out, they, they look for safe spaces, mm-hmm. but they don't create them. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like you did that with me. Like you saw, you saw some, uh, some rough edges and you were like, JT work on this. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, Teresa. So it's like you're. I mean, you're you're welcome for everything I've given you, but like, I thank you in return for um, for letting me be that person for you, but also for like helping me be that person for you. And you know, it goes both ways. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna hang up. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay. Well, thank you for following me. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Talking and being my friend. Love you. Yeah. Thank. You. Love you too. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Peace. Welcome to What I Did Not Learn in Sunday School, the segment where we explore the sometimes oppressive, sometimes inspiring, oftentimes complex roots of our faith. And this week, what I did not learn in Sunday School was that there are four female doctors of the church. One, St. Catherine Benincasa, is also known as Catherine of Siena. One of 25 children, that's right. 25. Catherine was a medieval lay woman whose spirit transcended the societal constructs placed on her as a woman. From an early age, she was enamored with God and deepening this relationship through prayer. Eventually feeling that prayer was only one part of a gospel-centered life, like walking with one foot or flying with one wing, Catherine felt compelled by the spirit 
to put prayer into action by ministering to the poor of her community. As Dominican sister and Catherine scholar Suzanne Nafke says, throughout her life, Catherine reiterated the importance of contemplation feeding action and action feeding contemplation. If they are not directly playing into each other, that is, if contemplation is not compelling one into action and action is not compelling one back into contemplation, then they are done in vain. Catherine dictated a body of seminal theological work with consistent thought and theological synthesis. She mitigated between feuding popes, a lay woman and medieval history telling the popes what to do. It was not without burden, however. Catherine heavily carried the pain of a divided church with her. Catherine had a vision of the church as a large ship coming down and riding on her back. And under this weight, she literally collapsed and spent the last weeks of her life paralyzed. A perhaps lesser-known aspect of Catherine's life was that her initial fasting turned into serious anorexia. She struggled with this sickness and warned her followers to not take the same path. Catherine's struggle speaks of the human experience, holding on to both suffering and inspiration throughout her life. Catherine had a community surrounding her, about 40 people who together functioned as a family. Many of the time considered them heretical because they did not hold canonical status. And as it often goes, the prophetic work is romanticized historically, but ostracized in the present moment. Catherine yearned for the church to move past its hierarchical paralysis and towards a people-powered metamorphosis. She was an example of female leadership, of lay-led leadership, of solidarity with the poor, of the power of deep prayer. For those of us who are still Catholic, despite the scandals and wealthy hierarchy and dehumanizing teachings about us and our friends, we find value in the parallel church, a church of the saints, a church of the people, and we take this task into our own hands. Dorothy Day, founder of the Catholic Worker Movement, says it best. I never expected much of the bishops. In all history, popes and bishops and father abbots seem to have been blind and power-loving and greedy. I never expected leadership from them. It is the saints that keep appearing all through history who keep things going. What I do expect is the bread of life. And down through the ages, there is that continuity. Through the people working to bring about this change in our church, Catherine's legacy lives on. And that, my friends, is what I did not learn in Sunday school. I begin 
by inviting the spirit to come upon me and relish in the powerful embrace of our loving creator. I give thanks to God for all of my friends, the ones who have bared their souls, shared their laughs, told their stories. I call them to mind one by one, coming out from their homes, returning from their journeys, passing by to say hello. For all of them, I say thank you. I hold in my heart and in my mind my friends, members of my community who are told to be scared, who are told they do not belong. I hold in my heart and in my mind my friends who have stood with me through thick and thin. I hold in my heart and in my mind my friends who have given me faith by their witness, by their example. And I hold in my heart the friends I have not made because of the borders that separate us, the prisons that separate us, the segregation that separates us, the classism and racism that separates us. I spend some time in conversation with God, my closest friend. We share deep laughs. We share casual conversation. We share moments of ecstatic joy. We share the depths of my despair. We share the mundane. And I confess to God and to you, my friends, those who I hold so dear. I confess to speaking ill of you. I confess to being thoughtless in my actions. Then I ask for forgiveness and the grace to align my love for you with my thoughts my words, my actions. I ask for the courage to stand in solidarity with you and allow you to stand with me. I end in thanksgiving for this time of reflection. I offer a prayer for friendship and gratitude for the relationships that have reflected your love in this world. 
This has been Know Where We Stand podcast. Our director of research is Karen Gargamelli McCrate. And our producer is Sean Gargamelli McCrate. Our logo was provided by CZ Design. And moral support provided by Ben Peterson and Dominic the Dog. My name is Teresa Carino. And my name is Jimmy Hannigan. Until next time, know where you stand and stand there. there.